I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Harrison Van Riper, security researcher on Digital Shadows Photon Research Team, about a recent study his team issued revealing the exposure of 2.3 billion files exposed across online file stores, including millions of medical-related files. Why is this happening and what can entities do to prevent these exposures? So, Harrison, before we jump into what you found, please briefly describe what your research team examined. For instance, what kinds of online file stores were you looking at? So, essentially, we searched across SMB file shares, which is the server message block protocol, basically a protocol that allows a lot of different file transfers among different kinds of computers. We also looked at network-attached storage devices, the file transfer protocol, so FTP servers, and R-Sync servers, and then also Amazon S3 buckets. So it was kind of a wide variety of different storage spaces that we looked across to find these 2.3 billion files, as you say. So in the big picture, across all sectors, what sorts of files did you find exposed? Well, it's kind of hard to say because it's, it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down because there is so much of it. Really, anything that you could really think of, including tax return files, you know, W-2s, even like backups for, for tax software that was exposed, medical imaging files, which is obviously what we're here to talk about today, different patient records. We also saw things from smaller companies like IT consulting firms who were also exposing some of their customer data through that. So things like password lists and other, you know, personally identifiable information, it kind of ran the gamut. It didn't just stop at, you know, kind of a couple different things. It was kind of anything that you could really think of was was out there available online. So now drilling down in the healthcare sector, you mentioned medical-related files, imaging. Tell me a little bit more about what sorts of health-related files were exposed and what were the main causes? I would say that the majority of it, so in total, across the file types that we searched, we saw 4.7 million medical slash, you know, healthcare related files. Out of that, 4.4 million were medical imaging files that were being exposed publicly. And, you know, these were things like x-rays, essentially a lot of DICOM files, so DCM files, which, you know, in, in the healthcare industry is pretty well known to be the main medical imaging kind of file type. So that was kind of the bulk of it that I would say that we found available. And the reason why, it's kind of hard to say specifically kind of why that's being exposed out there. I will say the the medical aspect of it was kind of the most important one or the most interesting one to me because it's just, it kind of brings it home to everybody who might read the report or hear about kind of what's out there. Everybody knows what an x-ray looks like. Everybody knows what their personal health information looks like. So this was kind of one of the more important findings, I think, in the report in general. So when it came to these medical images, were there personally identifiable information in them? Or were they just images? Did they have people's names and, and addresses, things like that? And where did these leak out of? Were there you know, certain sources that had breaches? Were there any sort of evidence that any of these documents or files were exfiltrated by hackers? How did this all seem to surface? I would say that going to the question of how, it's difficult to say specifically how these were kind of exposed, mainly because there were so many files and so many different sources. We weren't able to kind of deep dive, analyze each specific one. I will say, though, that we saw them across all those different file stores that I mentioned earlier. So 
FTP servers was a big one. Amazon S3 buckets was another big one. And these were simply exposed online. And there's no real indication that a malicious threat actor went out there and downloaded these files. However, it is possible, right? I mean, I think the fact that they are exposed and the fact that we were able to find them means that it is possible for somebody with more malicious intent to find them as well. Going back to the information part of it, on a lot of x-rays, they obviously have patient names and you know patient identifiers. They also have the date of the appointment or the date of when that medical image was taken. And again, just kind of while we were going through it, we didn't want to be too descriptive or too intent on trying to find out each specific file that we have and each person that's in there because it is a, it is a lot of very personal records. So we don't we ourselves don't want to have to trove through all of that. But but yeah, I would say that the main things that are included on those images are names, dates of birth, and then patient IDs for the hospital or wherever those images were taken, as well as maybe a appointment date. So typically within from a malicious threat actor's point of view, you could take that information to begin with and then pair that up with maybe a different data set and then then you kind of get a grander view of what this person's overall kind of identity online is. And then depending on the threat actor, you can do different kinds of things with it maliciously. So based on what you found and the possible sources of how this data or these files got exposed, are there certain security mistakes that these entities seem to be making to allow these sorts of files to be exposed? Is it misconfigured servers? Is it, you know, forgetting to do certain steps in protecting this data? What sorts of mistakes does this indicate? I think a lot of it comes from possibly a remote access point of view. We live in a kind of day and age where, you know, we're starting to move to more remote. I'll use the example of like a remote doctor where this data is going to be traveling across the internet from patient to doctor and, you know, back and forth without the need really for an office or a hospital visit or anything like that. So securing that data is obviously going to be key. I think a lot of the time, a lot of these medical systems and architectures have been set up, not hastily, but not with security in mind. And so, Basically, all the things that we found were completely unsecured. So they didn't have basic things like any sort of authentication, so no login or, or password on it. They were just widely available if you knew kind of where you were going. So if you knew that IP address to that FTP server or, or that domain where the AWS Amazon S3 bucket is being hosted, if you know that identifier, then you can just navigate there and with, with no sort of authentication needed, so no password, nothing like that. And I think that's kind of one of the very basic things that you can do whenever you do set up a, whether it be a cloud, you know, kind of storage service like this, or, I mean, coming from a security perspective, anything, right? You want to have some form of authentication to prevent any unwanted access or unauthorized access into that data so you can secure it as much as possible. And based on what you saw, is there enough evidence there that there's entities out there that, you know, again, because this is involving medical information, that there should have been breaches reported to federal regulators? Are these breaches that haven't yet been identified by the entities whose files these medical files belong to? I think that goes back to another good point in the fact that I think a lot of the entities that are exposing this data, they might not know about it. It's inadvertent. It's an inadvertent data exposure. So, you know, I'm by no means a HIPAA expert. So there might be some nuances within the notification rules or, or the law, but 
among those 4.4 million medical files, those are all considered protected health information underneath what HIPAA would consider protected health information. So that kind of takes us beyond that line of like, is this considered a, a breach according to HIPAA? And I think under the law, from my perspective, from what I've seen, I would say that it is. There's a really straightforward article that I was kind of reading in research for, for the paper, and it was from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons site, and it pretty much bluntly kind of came out and said medical images, specifically DICOM images, are considered PHI under federal law, and that uh, any, any HIPAA-covered entities are then required to protect and secure that access to that data. So, unfortunately, our report does indicate that a lot of these entities that are exposing this data could be in, in violation of that. So I think it's something that people should really take seriously and, and kind of take a look at what they are exposing and what their infrastructure looks like and uh, be sure to secure it and then do the, do the necessary things to be compliant with all the regulations. And do you have any advice for healthcare entities that might not know that this data is being exposed, you know, for them to be able to sort of track it down and be able to either reclaim it or secure it or report a breach if necessary? I think it kind of starts with a kind of a basic, basic level of where these DICOM images and how, how the other files are interacting and where they're being stored. So, you know, a PAX architecture, which is picture archiving and communication systems, Basically, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, and then the NCCOE, which is the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, they published a kind of a joint report in January of 2018 titled just that, Securing Picture Archiving and Communication Systems. And it gives kind of five different scenarios or, or setups for the architecture and ways to implement it securely. So I would say that's a great place to start for people who just are trying to wrap their head around maybe the issue and maybe to get a couple different examples of how to securely set up a picture archiving system. So I think that's a great place to start. I think if, if we move beyond just the PACS architecture specifically, if we look at you know, securing things like AWS buckets and you know, FTP servers, then you get into some of the more like you know, IP whitelisting blocking specific ports uh, using SSH FTP instead of just the regular FTP, so you add in a layer of encryption into that. There's a lot of different things, and I think, you know, the, the paper that we put out has kind of an easy-to-read table at the end of it, not to plug that too hardly, but it is, it is it, we wanted to very easily give people a way to identify things that they can do as soon as they read the paper and then secure that information as quickly as possible. And finally, Harrison, any advice to organizations whose data you found? Is there some way for them to get a heads up that their data is out there? Or is there something that organizations should be keeping their eye on in case they do have any of their patient files out there exposed in this way? Yeah, again, I guess I would go back to that report published by, published by NIST and NCCOE. I think it's easy to say from the outside looking in to say, you know, these files or, or these pieces of data should not be on this FT, open FTP server or, or something like that. Obviously, there are going to be reasons that are specific to that company or specific to that healthcare entity, why they're there and why they exist in the ways that they do. 
I think depending on the size of the organization, it can it, it can become very difficult very quickly. And I make no qualms to say that it's, it's an easy thing to do at all. It's not. But I think looking at the ways that your network interacts with the outside public internet, that's kind of the major first place to start. Because if you if you basically have control over the data that you have within your own systems, blocking specific ports, blocking specific IP addresses will kind of take care of a lot of this and, it, and, and kind of putting, maybe even putting on, um, you know, secure usernames and passwords onto some of these servers so that not everybody can then access it. Again, these are very basic, basic things that people can do and it can, it can really change a lot of different things. So I would say take a look at that to start with. Thanks, Harrison. I've been speaking to Harrison Van Riper. I'm Marian Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.